Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 5. 1 Peter 3 and Matthew chapter 5. 1 Peter 3.15. When I was 19 years old, I worked at Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis. And um, I was at a point in my life that, that the Lord had really changed some things in me and had caused my... Um, well, my relationship with him had come to the point that other people knew about it. You know what I'm saying? Do you, some of you remember that point in your life that you were the old person and then like these that are baptized in water this morning, you became a new person and, and then people around you started to notice that. They started to realize that something in you was different. I'd come to that point in my life and, and to, to uh, strengthen that witness was important to me to walk in integrity and things like that. So I can remember um, I used to uh, drive all the way out to the other side of the city and uh, I had to be there at 7 a.m. So I had to leave early. And I had to sign in. You didn't have a punch clock. I had to sign in when we came in. And everybody knew the rule. If you signed in late, then even if it was one minute, you were written up. That was the deal. I mean, there was a no tolerance policy on lateness and all that. So uh, because I was a procrastinator, I would tend to leave too late and rush and, you know, just barely get there. And I can't tell you the mornings I would walk in and that digital, official Baptist Memorial Hospital time clock would be on the wall. And that thing would pop from 6.59 to 7 when I'd walk in the door. I'd say, I made it again. And I'd sign in. And the, the manager's desk was right there and he'd look up at me. Like, I know one of these days I'm waiting for you. Then I'd come in 6.59, 6.58 to 7. I was never there outside that range. By some sheer miracle of God, I was never late. But one time, one time I came in and I walked in the room and that clock had already turned over to 7.01. It wasn't 7 when I walked in. It had turned over to 7.01. I walked in and stared at it and he looked up at me. What are you going to do? And I went and signed and nobody could see what I signed. After lunch that day, he came to me and he said, why did you sign in 701? I said, because that's what time I came in. And he said, but you realize you're going to get written up for one minute. And he said, I would have let you go. You're always on time. I said, but that's not the truth. The truth is I was late. So I signed in according to the truth. So I, I had established a witness there. Well, months later, we were in a training corps. I don't know, maybe they, those of you who in the workplace, you probably have these from time to time. I think it was a stress management or anger management, something. They were going to improve us somehow. I don't remember. And we got together in this room, and you watch these corporate videos about how to be a better human or whatever. And we're in there watching it. And then that same manager that watched me signed in, he went around the group and he'd say, um, let's just go around and tell each other, how do you handle stress? And different people say, this sweet little lady beside me, this older lady, she, she was a real, you know, uh, real spiritual. She said, I just sing to the Lord. She said, I just sing to Jesus. She was kind of giving her thing. And then it came to me next. And, and I went, I said, you know, um, I'm happy. Um, I just stuttered and I thought, you know, I, I'm, it's good stuff and good things and, you know, good stuff happens and I'm kinda, I kind of do what she does. And um, 
you know, I don't know, but when, when he turned to me and asked the question, because my witness had shown, the whole room sort of turned and looked at me, and I can remember that moment, and I can remember that I absolutely, completely, and totally blew it. I had a chance to tell people what was different. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't tell them at all. And it was such a terrible moment. Because I thought, here, here I've had this time to share, to tell, to tell somebody. I was asked the question. And I totally dropped the ball. I totally fumbled it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let me read that again. Always be prepared to give an answer. I wasn't prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What's always fascinated me about that verse is that it's built on an assumption. It's built on the assumption that people actually ask. I've got a question. How do they know to ask? What is it about you, what is it about me, that causes someone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ to ask? What, what prompts that? How, how does someone see hope in someone else? It's not visible. You can't look at the way someone's dressed. You can't look at someone necessarily and tell. How do you detect it? I'm not really sure. But people can tell the difference. In this Real Hope series, we started out by saying, Real Hope lives. Real Hope holds. Last week, Real Hope heals. This morning, I want to share with you, Real Hope shines. Real <laughs> Real hope shines. The question is, when is the last time someone asked you about the hope that's in you? Can you remember? When's the last time someone said, what is it with you? What, 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 what are you why are you different? What, what is it about you? There's something different about you. What is it? The problem is, in the last several decades, somewhere along the way, the lines between Christians and non-Christians begin to blur, and you couldn't tell the difference between a person who followed Christ or claimed to follow Christ and a person who didn't. I mean, they went somewhere different on Sunday. They used language a lot of people didn't understand in secular society. They listened to a different kind of music. They might listen to Christian radio, but outside of that... The world looked inside and saw that many people who claimed to follow Christ tended to be the same self-centered, worry-filled, fearful, dysfunctional people that everybody else was. Stacy and I were out for lunch one Sunday afternoon and saw a couple waiting to be seated in a restaurant. And you could tell they had gone to church because they had their church clothes on. They were sitting there. And they look like sadaholics. I was waiting for an intervention. And I got the feeling if you were to sit in their seat at church, they'd just decapitate you. Can I tell you, though, and hear this really well this morning. 
The difference between Christians and non-Christians is not happiness. It's hope. <laughs> I've got news. I've got a news flash. I'm not always happy. And if you are, you're lying. And we'll ask your spouse because they'll tell the truth. And they know you. Because happiness is a, an emotion that rides on the surface. But hope is a source that runs underneath. It's a lot deeper than an emotion. It's a lot deeper than the way you feel. The, most, the worst thing you can try to do and the way you can guarantee that you're going to be miserable is to try to be happy all the time. But hope is what people notice. Where does hope come from? Hope comes from your connectedness to God. We said a few weeks ago that hope was God's presence. Hope comes from your connectedness to Him. To, to live in hope, you have to be connected to God. Regularly, often, deeply inter intertwined. The more shallow your relationship with God is, the more hopeless your life will be. The less hope you have, the less of God's presence you have. If all we have are surface differences, if all we can say is we comb our hair different or dress different or go somewhere different on Sunday than everybody else, we go to church instead of the lake. If all we can say is we listen to Christian music instead of secular music, we don't have much. There has to be something fundamentally different about the constitution of your spirit. You have to have real hope flowing through your veins. And let me tell you what I've learned. You can't fake it. Come on. You can't fake it. You can fake it for a minute. You can fake it for an event. You can fake it for an appointment. But over the long run, you can't fake it. Real hope, fake hope, put on hope. When it's dropped... It just falls flat. Real hope bounces. Real hope, like a basketball with, the, with, with air in it, the breath of God in it. It lives. It, it bounces. It's, it's not fake. It's real. The amount of hope you have in your life speaks volumes about your intimacy with Jesus. Volumes. The deeper and more intimate you are with Jesus the more hope you have. And that hope will shine out of you. You can't hold it in. It'll just shine. It'll overflow. When you go to the marketplace, when you go to the community, schools and neighborhoods and family events where there are people around, look, when the word gets out that you're a church person, can you remember when you made the transition from a non-church person to a church person? Can you remember when you made the transition from a person who didn't know God to one who did? Can you remember when your relationship with God was growing and rich and sweet and you had realized forgiveness and the guilt had fallen off your back, but you hadn't gone public with it yet? Do you remember that? As soon as word gets out, mark it down, one thing will immediately go on trial by those around you who don't know God. And I'll tell you what it is. It's your hope. They will begin to see, yeah, but what happens when something goes wrong? What happens when they have a fight down at that church? What happens when, when the job changes? What happens when sickness comes? What happens when, what happens when something goes wrong? 
Where, 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 where's God then? That's what they're looking for. Your hope will go on trial. And people will begin to watch and examine. You know why? Because they want to know if what you have is real. Now why does that matter? It matters. A recent study revealed that 90% of people who accept Christ in America do not do so in a church service. Do you understand what that means? 90% of people who accept Christ in America do not do so in a church service. So what they're saying is, you can go down to your church and shine, but I'm not going to see you. And I'm not coming to see you. What I want to know is, is what you do down at your church, does that work out here where the rest of us live? Because if it works here, I like might be interested. Because this is where I live. And what happens is, look, if somebody told you you have 900 fish in this pond or 100 fish in this pond, which pond would you fish in? Well, 90% of people who make a decision for Christ today aren't going to do it in the sanctuary. They're going to do it in the street. They're going to do it at the mall. They're going to do it through Facebook. They're going to do it on the Internet. They're going to do it on email. They're going to do it in the workplace. They're going to do it in the after workplace. They're going to do it on the ball field. They're going to do it in the park. They're going to be riding in a car with somebody and say, what is it about you? And it's going to be sewn in over time. We've gone through the days a few decades ago where it was just get them to church and it'll all be all right. And then as culture continued to deteriorate and as darkness continued to get darker, the next thing was, well, I know what we'll do. We'll just make a service just for non-believers called a seeker service and get all of them here then and, then, and then we'll be okay. But let me tell you, things keep changing. Darkness keeps getting darker. And we've actually been forced back into the New Testament model, which is this. Fill yourself up with hope in an overflowing relationship with God and go out into a dark world and shine. That's where it's at now. 90% aren't coming. So you got to shine. We, we have come through an era where we believed connect an unsafe person to church, then connect them to God. What I'm saying to you is we're ministering as missionaries in a lost land where we have to connect them to God and then to church. Because what happens is people have seen enough church on TV to form an opinion of it. And you've got to say, let's don't talk about what we disagree on. Let's talk about God. He loves you. And when they look at the difference in you Monday through Friday, they're going to be more impacted than what they see you do on Sunday. And they may just give you the opportunity to allow that God of hope to flow, through you, flow from you to them. So I listed some questions this morning. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot these down. I encourage you to take them into your devotional time and just reflect on them. Take those to your prayer time and say, Lord, you know, King David said, search me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's that reflective time in prayer where you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you. How well are you shining? Let me give you a hope test this morning. Here's the first question. Would the people closest to you see you as a hopeful person with a positive attitude? 
with the people closest to you. Not the people out there that, you know, you can put your church clothes on and your church face on. I'm not talking about the people that see you 20 minutes a week. I'm talking about the ones that are squashed in right next to you. Ones, ones you got to share bathroom same difficult situation, would you be a person that a friend, family, or co-worker would turn to for hope? What I'm saying is, when something goes wrong in somebody's life, would you be pretty high on their list of a person to turn to to talk to? Because they would see you as a person of hope. Now, now they may say it different than we do. They may say, oh, you're a religious person, so I thought I'd talk to you. You ever heard me say that? I've heard people say that to me. Like, well, I don't like to think of it. Never mind, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Would, would those around you, when something happens that they don't know how to deal with, would you be high on their list as a person to turn to? Here's the third one. Can you name three people you're praying for that need hope? Can you name three people that don't know Christ? Can you name three people that don't have a relationship with God? Can you name three people that are living in darkness that you're praying for that need hope? They need the presence of God. Here's the last one. What are the relationships or situations where you may have an opportunity to share hope this week? In other words, we don't know every opportunity. The Holy Spirit divinely appoints opportunities, and I don't know why, but He won't always tell us. That's why 1 Peter 3.15 says, be ready. Because we're not always going to know they're coming. We just have to be sensitive to Him in that moment. But there are relationships and there are times that we know the door may open. What about this week? Is there a meeting? Is there a lunch? Is there a relationship? Is there a person on your heart? Is there someone on your mind? Is there a door that's starting to open? Is there a conversation that's starting to turn that way? Is there a moment that you know is coming that may, may hold that opportunity? May have that opportunity? Amy Carmichael was um, a missionary that had a deep impact on the nation of India. She served there for 53 years with no furlough. Unbroken time. 53 years in India. One day she fell in a pit and broke her spine. She was paralyzed the rest of her life. She never recovered from that. But she continued to work in India year in and year out in that condition. And I wanted to read you this morning a, a poem that she wrote after she was paralyzed about hope. Hope through me, God of hope, or never can I know Deep wells and living streams of hope and pools of overflow. O oh, blessed hope of God, flow through me patiently until I hope for everyone as you have hope for me. Isn't that powerful? Turn to Matthew 5 and let's look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16 together. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in what way? The same way a city's on a hill, the same way a lamp is on top of a stand instead of under a bowl. In the same way, the way a city and a light are obvious. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
according to my count, the word light appears four times in, that, in those verses. Have you ever wondered, Jesus spoke those words, have you ever wondered why he chose to use the word light? If you think about the characteristics of light, I think it may tell us something about it. Light is silent, but really powerful. This morning I was walking and I, I walked up over the peak of a hill and the sun met me there. Oh, and I had to make sure I didn't get hit by a car for a minute. But I didn't hear it coming. It just, it just shined. Sometimes, like I did at Baptist Hospital when I was 19, we don't say enough. Sometimes, though, it may be that we say too much. Sometimes, maybe the characteristic of light is a good example for us in sharing our faith. That we shine. This says, so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So that you may witness more by what you do than by what you say. So actually your deeds turn them to God. You're, you're, the way you live, your actions show people that there's more than you and me. There's something else out there. This is why servolution is so important. Servolution is not about what we say, it's about what we do. Let your light shine. You, you illuminate, you light up a community with the Spirit of Christ. Light is silent, but it's powerful all at the same time. We're not the source of the light. We're just like, like the moon absorbs in the ray of the sun and then reflects it down on earth at night. That's what we are. You and I are, are not the source of the light, but we're, we're reflectors of it. That hope, we absorb God's presence. We absorb His hope deeply into our life. It gets into us. And the next thing you know, we're just starting to sort of glow. We're just glowing in the dark world around us. It's almost like a, almost like a mirror. We're reflecting the source. We're, we're, looking, we're looking for that spot. Pow, there's one. Whoa. See that guy over in accounting? Boom, got him. All right. See that lady over there in the lunchroom? Pow. Shine some light on her. I'm reflecting God's light to those around me so that they may know through my deeds, they may know that He exists. They may know that He's real. They may praise our Father in heaven, the Bible says. Let me just wrap all this up this morning and give you some things you can do. Let me give you four things when it comes to real hope shining in you. Here's the first one. If real hope's going to shine, prayer is vital. Your hope comes from your connectedness to God. Uh, there's been times in my schedule I've realized I was overwhelmed or busy or whatever, and I've stopped at odd places and just said, God, elevators are closed, and I'd say, Lord, I, I've got to connect with you today. I can't run through this day running on my own mind, running on my own ability. Lord, I need you, and I've got to connect you right now. Look, you, you just don't want to run through your life running on what you have. You need God to breathe on you. You need His presence to breathe fresh life on you. And that happens in prayer. And so you've got to stay connected. You just don't want to live disconnected. 
How long can you go disconnected before you just start to dry up? It's like having no water. It's like having no nourishment. You just start, your body starts to, your spirit starts to change. But man, if it's, even if it's ten times for five minutes a day or whatever, but those moments you just say, God, I, I don't want to live this day without you. Lord, I want to connect to you now. Prayer is vital. Hope is God's presence. If you're looking for a quote of the day, here it is. Without prayer, there's no hope. Without prayer, you don't have hope. How's hope going to shine if you don't pray? So you've got to stay connected to God. Like Psalm 91 says, underneath the shadow of your wing. You've got to stay right there underneath the shadow, man. You've got to dwell right there. When, when that wing moves, you've got to move with it. Dwell in the shade of His presence. And let His presence minister hope through you. And you know what will happen? You won't even be trying to. It will just start popping out. It will start shining out to those around you. Here's the second thing. I don't know if you realize this or not. This verse, let your light shine, you're the light of the world, comes just on the heels of the Beatitudes. Jesus sat down with his disciples on a hillside and he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. And just after he said that, he said, oh yeah, by the way, you're the light of the world. Right on the heels of it. If you want to know what hope is, I know of no passage in Scripture that better embodies all that Jesus was than the Beatitudes. Take that thing in your prayer closet. Take that thing in your devotional time. Say, Lord, this is, this is the essence of Jesus. Let those Beatitudes work their way in you. And I guarantee you, if you'll just be concerned about them working their way in you, I promise you they'll work their way out. Just, you just be concerned on working them in. Here's the third thing. When I was 19, I was asked the question, how do you handle stress? But I understood what was going on in that moment. I, I knew it was more than that. That room changed and the focus came to me because there was a witness happening and I just dropped it. Let me encourage you to do something. I want you to go home and pretend... Next time you do your devotions, go home and pretend that that neighbor, that friend, that relative, that person, that coach, that coworker, that whatever, has just parent has just come and asked you, why are you different? Or uh, you can phrase the question any way you want. For me, it was, how do you handle stress? It, it'll sound a hundred different ways. But pretend somebody just asked you that question and write down how you would answer it. Just write it down. Write down a couple sentences. Take your laptop out. Write down a couple of sentences. And just look at it and say, does this work? I mean, if I was that person asking the question, would this be the answer that they were looking for? Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared. How are you going to get ready? How, how are you going to be prepared? You can't wait till the question's asked. It's too late. It was too late for me. It's too late. I blew it. I worked there, I worked in that particular wing 10 months. And it was the only shot I ever had. It was the only one. And I never got another one. You can't wait. You can't wait to be ready when it comes. It may not come again. It didn't for me in that setting. But boy, it 
It impacted me. Write down a few sentences. What would I say? And, and, and take that thing into your spirit and say, Lord, work this into me. Now here's the last thing, and I'll ask Pastor Micah to come. Make a, um, make a hope list. You can make it in your head. You don't necessarily have to write it down, but maybe, maybe three people. Say, what's a hope list? Years ago, I read a book by Lloyd Ogilvie called A Future and a Hope. And in that book, he talked about a friend he had named Ken. And he said the reason he liked Ken is because Ken had a hope list that he would keep with him in his pocket. He said every time he got a few minutes, he'd take that list out and he would just look over it and, and pray over it. It had the list of names on it. On that list, there wasn't one need, there wasn't one issue in Ken's life on it. It was just the names of people who needed hope. People that were in trouble. People who were bogged down with problems. People who were having family problems or marriage problems. Co-workers who were having issues. You know what Ken's number one prayer was? Let me tell you what it was. Lord, give me an opportunity to share with this person the reason for the hope I have. Just open the door. Just give me a chance. Just give me, give, give me an opportunity, Lord, to share the reason for the hope I have. Would you just remain seated and bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? Right where you are. Just, just get set. Just get settled. We're going to move into a prayer time now. Be different than the way we usually do it. Who is it that you know that needs hope? <laughs> Real hope shines. You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. This morning as you're, as you're sitting there, if after service, if you have needs you want us to pray for, we'll pray for them. But not right now. Right now, I want you to focus your mind outside yourself. I want you to focus your mind away from what's going on in your life and your own needs. I want you to focus your mind out. And can you think of someone who needs hope? Can you think of someone who's, who doesn't have a relationship with God, who's living in darkness, that needs hope this morning? Can you think of someone in your life that just needs God needs hope can I tell you in a minute I want you to stand in for them and pray for them and can I tell you what we saw this morning in water baptism somebody stood in and prayed for those people or they would, there would have been no water baptism and in your intercession this morning God's going to do something God's going to do something right now. He's going to go. He's going to he's going to go and do things in that person's life he wouldn't do otherwise. This morning, this isn't about who's going to do this and who's not. I don't care about that. 
the Holy Spirit has brought someone to your mind, I want you to stand in for them. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you are, if you say, I feel a burden on my heart this morning, and I want to stand in intercession for my friend, I want you just to simply stand to your feet where you are, and we're going to intercede. It's not about who stands and who doesn't. You don't even need to look around and find out who it is. It doesn't matter. If you have that person and there's a specific burden on your life, I want to ask you right now to pray for them. Let's go to intercession for a minute. Holy Spirit of God, we bring to you this morning our friend. God, I'm asking you right now that you would do something miraculous in their life, that you would open up their mind and heart, whatever you need to change in their circumstances so that they may see you and know you and hear you and feel you, know that you're real. Lord, I pray that you'd surround them with the message of your love, surround them with people who can show them the message and tell them the message. Lord, I pray for a breakthrough. We pray against darkness over their life, that you would turn the circumstances back. The enemies had a plan to destroy them, but you have a plan to give them a future and a hope. And Lord, we pray that into their life this morning. We pray that the, the plan of the enemy would be broken, that you would turn him back in confusion on himself. Lord, just like we celebrated these, these symbols this morning of water baptism, these who have celebrated new life, Lord, we're doing the harvesting work right now. We're preparing for another harvest. Lord, I pray that you'd break the work. You said you came to destroy the work of the enemy. Lord, I pray you'd destroy his work over the life of those who are in the mines. Hundreds of people are being prayed for right now. Lord, right where they are sitting at home watching TV out in the backyard at the park. Lord, driving down the road, running errands, taking care of sick relatives, wherever they are, Holy Spirit, let your presence, just like we sang this morning, the presence of the Lord is here. Let the presence of the Lord be there. Let them sense you and hear you. We thank you, God. If everyone would stand now, we want to pray for one more thing. If you just turn your hands up, just lift your hands up. Open your hands. Just turn your palms up. Just, just open yourself in a responsive way to the Lord. And I want you to sincerely ask God to do this. I want you to ask Him to give you an opportunity this week to share about the hope that's in you.